Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Mescaline Garden podcast. In this episode, I interview my good friend and fellow gardener, Halcyon. Halcyon is a humble yet deeply knowledgeable ecological expert that has traveled the world, searching for and discovering many unique plants and insects. Some time ago, Halcyon and I collaborated to catalogue the San Pedro clones in the Damascus Garden and to author the Coke Bottle Tech Terrarium Technique, a superior version of the well-known Takeaway Tech Technique. Halcyon has an intimate relationship with the natural world, stemming from his understanding that all human needs can be provided for by our environment. Halcyon's garden is a fragrant, tropical paradise enjoyed by all, literal and metaphorical fruit of a plant explorer, custodian and connoisseur. Enjoy. Hello, hello, Halcyon. Thank you for having a chat with me. How's it going? Hi, good. Yeah, good. Good to be here. Uh, how's the world of cactus been been treating you? Oh, fun as always. Yeah, always something exciting happening in the world of cacti. Yeah. So, uh, tell me, one of the things that I like about what you do with cactus that I think not so many other people do is breed for some more of these kind of obscure qualities like a lot of people are breeding because they're interested in mescaline content for example um and i'm not saying that that's not something you're interested in but i know you to be a have some more curious curious interests so Mm. tell me what are you breeding san pedro for well yeah that's that's a good interesting point um well you know plants in general you'll get something different out of every plant and you know you can get multiple things out of certain plants as well so um with you know the world of cacti um there's certainly more than one one element to the san pedros um there's there's the whole gardening side of things there's the medicinal side of things there's and for me uh i've been quite interested in the fruiting side of things of so, you know i've got quite a collection of fruiting cacti there's a, certainly a lot of uh, uh potential there to breed a few um more palatable fruits i guess you'd say and uh you know that's really as is it's only as difficult as any other plant breeding so you know pick out the um the standout fruiting ones from you know anywhere in your travels and cross them together one or two generations and you'll have something that's uh, really worth um, worth eating and and you know something that the next generation can can pick up and and take even further as well so um, it's certainly something to keep an eye out for any desirable trait um, is worth preserving um, you know, and loss of genetics is just just as uh, a, a concern in in the backyard as what it is in in the wild. So, as well as fruits, medicine, some more horticultural dimensions. What what are, what are some obscure 
traits that you've appreciated in San Pedro? Hmm. Um, definitely aesthetics. I I got into cacti to begin with because I was on a uh, I was going for this this craze of um, gardening for fragrant plants, and I pretty soon got onto the the night gardening. A lot of um, fragrant flowers are fragrant at night, and yeah, it's it's a great world. You know, you step into the garden on dusk and the world changes you know there's a lot of flowers literally open at night and release their their scent you know so that's what got me into it when i first saw these flowers or read about them saw how big magnificent they were and read that they had such beautiful nocturnal um fragrance i just had to had to have them and it wasn't long you know on on the internet nowadays uh and I sort of hooked up with a few few growers and I'm uh, pretty sure that's what got me in, in touch with the, the modern um, uh, San Pedro growers. And uh, yeah, just took it from there. And um, certainly the psychedelic side of things is, is very fascinating to me. Um, more so nowadays that I might have an actual reason to to use it in a medicinal sense. Um, personally, uh, less so for, for, for a, in, a, in a psychonaut context, but definitely in a medicinal sense because anything sustainable is, is what, what catches my interest. So, you know, to be able to grow your own plants is just as, uh, your own food sources is just in, as important as being able to grow your own medicines. Yeah. So taking it back to fragrances, because that's yeah. something well, I, I want to ask it in mm. kind of two, two areas. Mm. My first thought obviously is what are the best smelling San Pedro flowers? Mm. Then of course, I know there's a much broader kind of discourse around other cacti flowers is it like Selena Sirius that is known oh, yeah, for having absolutely. so so tell me what are starting with cactus in general and then whittling down to San Pedro mm. tell me your favorite scents who who smells good mm. do I smell good mm. um oh boy um there's certainly some that are that are renowned so there's quite a lot of cacti that you know, from different genuses that have, that are known to, to have beautiful perfumes, you know. So the, you know, all the, all the dragon fruit, Selenoceris, Hyaloceris, all of those, um, generally it's the big white ones. They'll attract the moths as well, the, the nocturnal pollinators. Oh, and that's a sign of, of a good scent, right? The, yeah, the, the two usually go hand in hand. Yeah. Whereas the colorful, Bright. You're a butterfly guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the bright, colourful flowers will often open during the day and their scents won't be a nocturnal scent, but they'll be more like a honey-type scent, which is um, might be a bit more attractive to things like bees and butterflies, whereas the nocturnal scents are, uh, uh, well, how do you describe it? Really like perfume, basically. Mm -hmm. So... You know, and it's just about creating your own little um, 
little piece of paradise that you can escape to. You know, when it comes to gardening, just have your own little es escape, you know, with, um, you know, privacy, beautiful plants, you know, beautiful smells, the, the sound of insects, the sound of frogs, you know, it's a, a bit like recreating the best elements of nature, bringing them all into this. It's something as small as someone's backyard, you know, anyone can do it. It might just be the, the corner of your, your balcony is enough to, to do it, you know. But I mean, obviously, the, the more space, the better <laughs> kind of thing. So, um, yeah, I, I've certainly embarked on most of this stuff from uh, um, as in terms of gardening. Um, yeah, to, be, to begin with, that's that's where it's all started for me. Yeah. And in terms of San Pedro flower scents? Do you have any that are high ranking for you or, or low ranking? Any stinky ones? Uh, same picture. Some, uh, it just comes down to, to the clone. So like any other trait, some will be better than others. And then certainly in the eye of the beholder too, so to speak. So um, there's, there's, uh, there's some nice epith epitheliums. Um, Epiphyllium oxypetalum, which they call, what do they call that one? The um, common name, can't quite think of it now. They often call it, you know, queen of the night, lady of the night, princess of the night, those kind of general common names, but they get used for multiple different plants. Sure. But, uh, you know, we've got uh, the internet out, at our fingertips now, so it's really not hard to um, track down these things and look it up on eBay and have a cutting in the mail with, within a week sort of thing. So, yeah. But which San Pedro clones? Which ones? Which ones do you like? clones. Yeah. Any ones? Um, well, I remember back in the day I read that uh, even good old PC was, was, was a bit of a winner uh, when it came to the, the sheer number of flowers um, and... The, the nice perfume, but um, uh, generally um, Pachinois and uh, Brigesii, Peruvianus, those those main types are all pretty good. Tershekiis are a little bit different, but quite nice still. In different in terms of how it smells, you mean? Um, yeah, slightly different scent, but I think you 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 might find differences from region to region. Sure. I mean, sure. you know, our scents aren't that our noses aren't that um, sensitive to scents in general. You know, just as long as you've got the nice, beautiful scent coming out of a couple of cacti is enough to sort of keep me happy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I guess uh, I was wondering maybe if you had a had a favorite clone or something that you wanted to breed with for. There was there was one that was a real standout, but unfortunately I don't particularly like the clone because it's quite um, prone to disease, and um, 
I, f I found it. Uh, Are you avoiding the name? Are you avoiding the name of this? Are you trying to be kind or what's the well, secret? Well, I first found it hanging out of a garbage bin. And, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, I know this one. <laughs> but um, the flowers on it were quite spectacular, very nicely, like open, opening up very wide and flat. So, you know, a, a flower that opens right up wide and presents itself is certainly nicer to look at than a flower that stays really cupped. You know, they're just not really quite as nice to look at. But, um, yeah, the, the perfume on that particular one. Um, Is so this that, the one that was that, called Garbage Truck? Yeah, I was calling that for a little while. But, um, yeah. Others... What's it going around us now? Oh, there's a few names for it. It oh, comes out of, of a garden just out of Toowoomba um, on the way down near... Um, uh, what, what was that other name for that garden? Damascus, Damascus? yeah 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 that's the place yeah I think it might go by a couple of names but anyway the the owner of that particular garden he's not really he doesn't really have an online presence so is that one of the Booyah clones yeah yeah okay cool that, cool yeah. cool yeah all right one of the I don't think I realized that was garbage truck I didn't it's hard to know what uh, those clones are a bit of a series I think he's the, the guy's grown multiple um, plants from from a seed packet so they all look they all look quite similar, but there's some more subtle differences amongst them. Yeah, Steve and I actually catalogued that collection, and we kind of have, well, at least the, the most of the names are in the catalog section of the website, um, but not all the photos. But uh, a lot of them we just have to call series because you know there's like ten plants that look almost identical, but they're about the same size and were presumably planted at the same time. So mm. it kind of seems like it's likely they were different seed-grown plants. So, you know, we call them a series. Yeah, and quite prone to the um, the fungal pathogens that have been getting around and really scarring up the, the plants and making them look pretty nasty. So uh, that's, that's another a major aspect of um, San Pedro breeding that's been on my mind lately um you know you might think that a a garden that's riddled with with fungus is is just a total write-off you know but look a little closer because they're the gardens where the real treasures will be found so if you can find a a clone that's completely disease free in amongst all those diseased clones then that that clone that disease free clone will be of particular significance and value to um, breeders who are looking to introduce a bit of um, resistance in San Pedro's because what from my um, conversations with other growers in recent times people are just they're they're just getting to the point where clones that are too ravaged by fungal problems just end up in the bin they just don't want to um, persevere with those those clones because ultimately they they look nasty no one's going to buy them take they, more of your time yeah they take up time they spread the disease onto other more valuable plants but I, I recommend I encourage people to take it that little bit further and start cross 
pollinating your your best performers the 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 clones that are that seem to be particularly disease resistant um, crossbreed those ones together even if you only do it once you know you're gonna end up with something that's um, much better performer in the garden you know you know the difference between a perfect beautiful looking blue San Pedro and one that just looks like it's 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 got the plague <laughs> you know you want to throw any um, clone names out there for plants that you really respect mm. for their disease resistance? <clears throat> um, well, I, I've got a couple in my collection. One one that I um, named uh, after myself, so I called it the Halcyon Beast. That was a real standout um, because it it was completely flawless in a in a collection of um, really diseased ones in an old collection. And um, I, I've i sold a few pieces of that, but I've been sitting on it with the intentions of um, breeding it. So I don't want to cut it to pieces before I can get um, more flowering and more breeding off it. So yeah, the few pieces I have sold and given away has been, you know, pretty special pieces to me. And I usually give them away with the intention of um, encouraging those other growers to um, take take it a bit further with crossbreeding. Um, there's a couple of nice MH um, series, MH, uh, one of the growers, that's his initials. And he, he pointed out a few that he grew from seed, which were um, some of his older plants and they were completely flawless I mean they'll often so the plants will often catch maybe just a touch of of a fungal pathogen uh, if it's rubbing up against another plant or if it's just in less than ideal conditions but then you'll notice that the fungus doesn't spread so it's it, it'll just sit there um, you know, to have a hundred percent resistance would be. Uh, I mean, you can you can get there in in the long run, but as long as it's um, not totally destroying the aesthetics of the of the cactus, that's that's the main thing. So you know, the more um, resistance, the better. And I come from a uh, plant science background. I I studied ecology and and plant science when I was at uni. And I worked with um, uh, the DPI for a while with plant breeding and wheat research and fungal pathogens are certainly one of the biggest um, plant disease problems that's out there. And ultimately, the, the number one way of dealing with those issues is through plant breeding. So, you know, no one's got the, the money to, you know, apply you know tons of sulfur over over broad acre crops you know uh it wouldn't be uh worth it economically so so through um breeding resistance into crops um that's that's the way to address fungal issues in particular um and yeah it's the same with with cacti and it's as simple as 
like I said, it, it's only really is only one or two generations of just picking out your your um, standout clones, crossing them together, growing out as many seeds as you can, and picking out the better ones. And the more times you do that over and over, the the better results you're going to get. And and uh, actually, you know. Uh, um, a hygienic garden's a very good thing too, you know, because there's there's a, there's always that arms race going on between the the plant and the disease. So you really don't want the disease to um, catch up to your to your resistant plants, you know. So you are better to remove the um, the diseased plants, especially the the worst ones, yeah. Just have them out of your out of your collection altogether. And I know with um, Astrophytum asterias, for example, uh, when people are breeding them for really ornate patterns, sometimes the offspring with the least amount of patterns, their offspring produce the most ornate looking astros so is there any kind of potential or thinking around something similar happening with uh fungal fungal pathogens or you know other kind of pest resistance is there a chance that some of the the weakest ones might produce the, the most strong offspring or that's not really doesn't really work like that um well it's it's yes and no um there's 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 a lot going on when it comes to plant genetics and plant breeding um there's dominant recessive genes there's um um uh there's issues of where those genes lay on the on the chromosome whether they're laying near or far away from other other genes so sometimes two two genes are just always seem to be always seem to come along together for the ride uh, but then you know on a very rare occasion you might split the you know during meiosis you might split the chromosome um, right between those two genes so you might get lucky but that's that's a numbers game that's that's a lot rarer so um, uh, you know every plant's kind of a little bit different um, and uh, uh, it's it really does come down to a numbers game actually um, so you know do if you're if you if you've made a nice successful cross and you're aiming for something the, the the next step is to grow as many seedlings as possible don't just grow half a dozen you know in, in commercial breeding they grow thousands like thousands and thousands and thousands you know and then they go hunting and searching for those those one in a million sort of so that's that's the um, way to 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 read what it is that you're that you're looking for you know be prepared to um, <laughs> grow out a lot of small plants if if possible 
Uh, Burbanks was a good example of that. He, um, mm, yeah. he bred his spineless opuntias and he was known to plant out row after row after row, just thousands of them, just to get that one, like one in a million type um, plant. It's not hard to imagine why I freaking hate a puntia. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, but, um, you know, breeding for that, that's when you're trying to combine um, certain traits together. It can be, it can, it can be quite simple or it can be quite, um, quite a rare thing. So, um, but um, you know the other the other way in hi historically people have always selected the biggest fruits on on plants and then over time after generation after generation after generation the the bigger fruit tends to be um, maintained and developed just by selecting the the bigger fruit it seems to there seems to be genetics um, joined with that as they go so yeah just selecting is is usually a pretty good place to start unless you want to get really really technical with with your breeding and start to do dna analysis and see what's what's really going on deeper down and do you know any uh like kind of interesting markers besides the obvious you know besides just bigger more blue or whatever uh like the the example that sprung to mind when you were speaking around that was the um penis mv cubensis strain which was selectively bred for blue bruising uh and yeah. i'm just wondering are there any and like i was kind of trying to get up with that astrophytum example mm. um are there any kind of little things that not pe people might necessarily relate it to the trait that you you see um, and you're like, oh yeah, I want to. That that's something that uh, a, tr a trade mm. I, I should I should bring some attention to. Not that not that I know of, but that's that's one of those things that other people might be able to um, tell you from their personal experiences. They might say, oh, this is what I've found from my own personal breeding. So yeah, the more the more different people you talk to who are into um, cacti breeding or plant breeding in general like a specific plant that's yeah that's the way to go if you if you've got something specific in mind um, certainly um, you know talk with your peers about all that sort of stuff and get their some of their knowledge yeah well may, maybe it was it was it someone we were speaking to the other day was talking about how the Ecuadorian Pacanoi appearance was very dominant in crosses so maybe that's kind of like an example of if you're mm. trying to breed for an appearance mm. so something you might kind of look out for something mm. that was crossed and didn't produce that yeah well yeah funny that because one cross can can come out looking totally like uh one of the parents and then another cross altogether can come out totally random another cross can come out looking like the other parent you know it's um there's there's a lot of factors going on when it comes to plant breeding but um you know the simple ways you, you know you don't you don't need a phd in plant breeding it's just it's the same as what everyone else is doing where they cross their favorite looking 
cactus with their other favorite looking cactus and grow out a bunch of seedlings and pick out the one that they they really like the most yeah try to try to focus in on a certain trait or a couple of traits in particular and and um and then and then um name it or or tag it as as well you know don't just let it be lost to history you know get it get it out there so if you do manage to breed one that's particularly disease resistant then you know give it some sort of name and get it out there so that someone later on down the track can pick it up and take it even further yeah all right i reckon we've we've done breeding a good go mm. another thing i wanted to talk about with you <clears throat> that we uh talk about probably too much uh mm. is coke bottle tech mm. um so uh, some people might realize I helped uh, write that resource, but that's actually, you know, your idea, your concept. Although I have heard you try to say that you've drawn inspiration from elsewhere. But in my opinion, uh, you did the majority of the work on this cute little terrarium design. Mm. So can you tell me how you discovered it, how it's changed over time and how you're doing it mm. and and why, why you think it's important? Okay, so I... When I was uh, much younger, a, a teenager, I would, I had a number of terrariums, and uh, this is just broken old fish tanks, you know, cracked fish tanks that had no other use. And uh, even back in those days, I would get a lot out of re reusing, recycling. You know, you, I mean, right now I've got a. A massive fish tank it's worth about it would be worth about five thousand dollars brand new because it's so big but it's got a crack in it and the dude just gave it away for for nothing it was completely useless to him but to me that fish tank is still worth the five thousand dollars like it's gold because of just how massive it is it's the biggest terrarium I've ever had like it, it's just pure gold and he he just gave it away so you know i i got a lot out of um, terrarium gardening back in back in the day when i was a kid and i had my terrariums on the windowsill and different times of the day you'd see the the condensation um you know building up and then it would trickle down the sides and there'd be a little world all happening, all contained in one um, one little glass box. So, and and the, the the thing that really stood out was anything I put in there would just grow. It would I could propagate anything. Um, the conditions were just ideal for for growing plants. And uh, later on, so yeah, when I got into um, growing growing cacti and well other cuttings and that you know you'd often put a a plastic bottle or a dome or something over a humidity dome over over a cutting just to um prevent transpiration you know prevent water loss um and uh when it, yeah when it came to the um when it came to the cacti raising cactus seeds uh there was 
you know, the number one method was with the takeaway tech. And uh, I had some success and some failures with the takeaway tech. And basically, I just came to the point where I thought, oh, look, um, the, the containers need to be bigger. Um, I wish it had more depth of soil and I wish it had more depth of, uh, like, air above the soil level. And so I straight away jumped onto some um, uh, milk bottles. There was a uh, there was a coffee van at work. It was just throwing out bags and bags of milk bottles at the time. So I mucked around with those. Tried to get two milk bottles to stick together, sort of slide one inside the other, which was a bit of a bit of a hassle. I put Glad wrap over the top and that sort of thing the 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 real letdown on that was to was that um uh they would perish in the sun so they wouldn't even last a, a full year and um and also back back in the day when i was working on terrariums i was i was propagating i tried propagating um tree ferns from spores with some more you know limited success but what I did was I, I was able to bore a small hole in the side of the fish tank so that the water, um, the water level would only come up so high. I, I read a few books on terrariums and that sort of thing, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that was my own idea at the time was to get a hole in the side of this fish tank. And there was always a bit of a reservoir of water in, in the very bottom of the the tank and uh you know i'm i'm certainly not the first one to think of that idea nowadays they call it um uh it's it's really taken off recently they they call it um wick gardening wicking and you know the principle's the same whether it whether it's one tiny little pot or a big um garden made out of an uh one of those what are they called icy ICB pods, what are they called? I don't know. Oh, there's big plastic square pods. I've seen them done in, yeah. Uh, I've made a wicking garden out of a bathtub, for instance, where I've just blocked the plug hole up and put some holes in the side and it's just got that continual um, reservoir of water at the bottom of it. So, um, so that was a big um, element that I wanted to bring into it and uh, just by playing around with different um, um, plastic containers I mean I could just go out to Bunnings and and spend you know 50 bucks on a packet of containers but then you know there's so many different shapes and sizes of containers it's just in your rubbish bin you know so you play around with whatever you can find and you know work on a bit of a prototype try to the concept before you go to the next stage and I think somewhere along the line I I got a, a Pepsi bottle to slide perfectly into a coke bottle and that was that was quite a nice fit like you couldn't get a, a tighter fit actually and uh, then at some point I, I had a, yeah I got a neighbor who's who's addicted to coke she, she so I get about five or ten two liter coke bottles every Every four wasn't nights. sure if you're going to say bottles or bags there. 
bottle, bottle, <laughs> yeah, no bottles. Uh, and uh, I found because of the um, shape of the bottle, with the um, the curved shape, it's got that a couple of wobbles through it. I was able to cut it in a particular place where I could fit two in 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 together. So one would basically be able to be put inside the other and I had a nice sealed pod um, you know because water water's everything really when it comes to plants you know and this this is a real set and forget sort of thing you can plant your seeds in there close the lid and basically walk away from it and it'll just do its own thing um, um, like if you've got a big tray of um, pots, that tray, uh, so the tray is going to hold water in the bottom. That tray has to be completely level to water all the pots at the same amount. You know, the, if you want all the pots to be sitting in the same depth of water, it has to be level, right? Well, it's, that's actually very hard to have it level. So if, if it's off just by one or two degrees, you're going to have one pot that's getting way more water than the, the other one on the opposite corner is going to, you'll find it dead one day because it just didn't get enough water. So the pot, the pods, the little um, terrarium pods themselves, um, it, it, it doesn't matter if the level is, um, if the surface is level or not. Uh, it's just an issue that doesn't come into it. You know, the water's always maintained. Uh, so very um, convenient. You know, the hardest thing is just to um, just to build it. You know, it takes a couple of minutes to build it to begin with, but it saves you so much time in the long run. And, um, and I, you know, of course, I do like the idea of reusing the bottles. I, I've um, approached, um, there was a bottle man down the road who used to go... Um, go through the bins and pick up bottles off the street and that sort of thing. I used to give him my bottles. And then a few weeks later, I was uh, tracked him down and I was buying the bottles you off him. You became the bottle man. Yeah, I, was, I, was, I think I was giving him 15 cents a bottle. <laughs> you know, so, um, yeah, so you can use all shapes and sizes. But um, the PET bottles, are oh, they're just, um, gee, they just go and go for year, year after year. You can't kill them. It's a bit of a worry how how long they stay concerning, going for. Concerning yeah. for the environment. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So that was a lot of fun. Um, I'm often doing minor tweaks to them. Sometimes I'll put a hole in the top or an extra hole in the bottom, or change certain aspects to the design, depending on what I'm growing. But um, pretty much anything goes in 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 them. Anything works. Cuttings work really well. Small cuttings. Yeah. And then you have to decide things like when do you take the top off? When's it time? Um, you know, how much light do you put it in? There's all those other elements that you have to get right as well. You know, you have to consider all that other stuff. But um, you can usually um, pinpoint the, you know, if you make a mistake, you can usually diagnose what's going wrong. So if you haven't got enough light, your plants will be all long and earlier. How do I say that word? Eliate, eliated. Oh, uh, well, I always, I always Sorry. said it 
atoliated okay. but I, I swear i heard someone the other day explicitly correct someone for pronouncing it like that so okay. i've lost all confidence yeah one of those words you read all the time and can't pronounce it properly yeah who knows who knows yeah so uh yeah and i wouldn't put those pods right out in the direct sun either not in the middle of summer anyways that'll that'll uh, go bad pretty quick <laughs> um to ease them out and harden your plants off i often just take the lid off completely but leave the walls up uh, leave the walls on the bottles and then uh, after a couple of weeks it'll, everything's looking all right i cut the cut the wall away and then a couple of weeks after that i'll cut the plants right out completely and um, transplant them pot them up and then there you, you can you can pot them up into individual bottles too if you if you choose you know it's not a bad way to go got their own little water supply so but um, I'd highly recommend um, making making use of your own r rubbish as as a resource you know there's there's this concept going around that nothing's rubbish Nowadays, everything's got some other use somewhere, somehow, and it's just a matter of whether or not you want to utilise it. So plastic bottles and gardening really just go go together really, really well. You know, what, what's the point of um, buying plastic pots if you've got an even better type of pot that you throw in your, in your wheelie bin day after day, week after week? So I reckon... Uh we've we've um fooled the narcs right so we've gone long enough talking about um strictly ecology and gardening more or less so could you tell me a little bit more around your thoughts experiences um vibe around san pedro as a vegetable as a vegetable to to be eaten as a food Oh yeah, or a medicine. I was just trying to. I was trying to open it up to, to food without, yeah. um, you know, boxing it in. Yeah. Okay. Um, hmm. As a vegetable, well, I really don't know when it comes, if it's uh, in terms of food. Absolutely, <laughs> it's got, nutritional content. Got, got nothing there, but um, with medicinal, um, I'm certainly not an authority on that. But I can tell you my personal experiences and, and thoughts and opinions. Yeah, that's what I want to hear. Yeah, so that's my disclaimer. <laughs> um, I think in recent years, plant medicine has been, has been um, coming out into the open more and people are accepting, accepting it for what it is you know in in some ways there's good and bad it's it's a it's a bit paradoxical too you know like in like any medicine you know um there's you know there's certainly a time and place where such medicines psychedelic substances can be used um, quite beneficially to humans and um each to their own ultimately in in my opinion each to their own but you do want to respect these things because you know there's a history of plant use plant medicine use and um but they even 
even in ancient times, you know, it was it was respected and revered. So um, the idea of just running wild um, like a, a psychonaut trying every substance and pushing it to the max, you know, each to their own. If, if that's what you really want to do, that's, that's your own moral choice. But there's 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 dangers in in doing that and i've seen it person firsthand with um you know working in mental illness nowadays there's there's um there's certainly been people show up to um the um hospital with um on bad trips and that sort of thing and you know i don't know if that was because of this the substance itself or was that just a bad batch or my opinion is that plant medicines can be quite beneficial to most people most of the time but then there's always a risk that you might be that one in a hundred that just has a really bad trip and a really bad experience on it so that's the nature of the beast you know you um how do you how do you work with that? I don't know. I honestly don't know. That's the easiest thing for governments to do is just ban it, you know, and go from there. But um, uh, that's that's certainly an interesting area of discussion. How to how to deal with um, psychedelics? No, we can't save the world. Tell us about your experiences with the cactus tell us tell us my you've disclaimed us my experience has just been uh, one failure after the next but um from what i've uh from what i've uh heard from from other people um um they have all sorts of different methods of um brewing and extracting and and this and that you know and um, some people like this the idea of the most natural straightforward method they could they could employ which would be something like walking up to the cactus and and eating it you know out of hand sort of thing and and the other extreme would be doing uh, like an extract and then doing some chemistry on it and, and ending up with some pure pharma pharmacological substance that um, you know might be extremely potent but 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 very um, different to what you'd find in nature if you know what I mean like uh, you know in terms of how you interact with it it's like a um, something out of a pharmacy rather than out of nature so um, I would always go, you know, my personal preference would be go the natural way. Um, and so I've heard of, um, oh, look, I've, I've heard people trying it all different ways, like they might brew it up in a pot or they might dry it out and turn it into a powder. And um, some people seem to um use it for i guess innocent what you'd call it you'd call it recreationally so they just want to go on a bit of a ride with it other people 
want some sort of um, psychological healing after a, after some traumatic event. Some people might just want relaxation, perhaps, you know. So um, it's there's a lot of uncharted territory there where, um, um, you know, l looking things up on the internet will will help you but there's there's also this phenomena where you basically end up finding what it is you, you end up finding on the net what it is that you already had in mind to begin with and you just end up um, confirming things that may have may actually be false or wrong so yeah it, the world the world of psychedelics i guess or and cacti is is that in a weird stage at the moment there's so much misinformation or or developing information and different um theories out there it's always always good to stick with someone who's um got a bit of a reputation i guess i guess they could be considered as the modern day shamans anyone who's got an interest in it you know, a bit of a scientific interest in in such a topic would 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 be so, someone you could learn from, and there would be a bit more safety in that. But um, you you're going to have to accept the risks that are involved, um, and take you know take a lot of caution as as you go. Um, so the times where I've used plant medicine personally, I've I've wanted to. It's it's been a lot less about anything like psychonaut experience. It's been more to do with um, healing for like traumatic kind of issues, and um, it's there was there was a point where it it very much very significantly helped and made made a major breakthrough in something something physiological that was going on for me at the time so i guess it i was able to my, my body was able to relearn how to make certain happy chemicals i guess and i think my body started healing itself from that point on slowly and uh, so, you know, I, I'm quite positive towards it, but at the same time, I've heard plenty of stories um, about how it can all go wrong. And, you know, I've read, read about, say, angel's trumpets in particular. There's, there's certain plants that I would just never, never even go there with because the risks are, in my opinion, in, for, for me personally the risks are just too high so I'm just not not particularly interested in trying every every single thing that's out there but then some other people might get a, a whole lot of benefit out of it too I don't know I think it depends I, I it sounds like most people that have uh, that speak of positive or you know desirable Brugmansia experiences it's always very small doses mm. in combination with psychedelics mm. Mm. Um, but but yeah, obviously some people are going to enjoy it more than others. Mm. I I the, the, all right. We'll have to jump back into because I I still want to talk uh, San Pedro recipe. But 
mm-hmm. that just makes me think because I can actually uh, see a, a salvia uh, divinorum cutting as we speak, mm-hmm. and it made me think that you were one of the few people that have kind of spoke more positively mm. about that plant. Mm. Um, yeah, well, and I'd like to hear. Yeah, I'd like to hear about how, your feelings about that. I was kind of surprised to hear so many people saying they've had bad experiences on it, like dark experiences and so on. Um, now, there's salvia is an interesting plant that some people like. Traditionally, it was chewed, and uh, in modern times, people have realised you can smoke it, and then that quickly led to people. Um, doing extractions where they've concentrated the the substance to 20 times 100 times um personally i'm i'm just not interested in extracts and concentration to to begin with because i'm not like i'm not trying to (laughs) go to hyperspace and back you know what i mean like i'm i'm really not interested in any of that but when it comes to chewing a leaf i i feel like you can't really get any more natural than that. I, I'm always up for chewing a leaf, like I guess see see how it goes. And yeah, I felt a bit of a little bit of something after chewing some salvia leaves. So so one time um, I I bought a cutting that was growing. Um, this is before they became illegal. I just bought a cutting at one of those um, head shops and. It grew beautifully in my climate. Uh, Absolutely beautiful plant, by the way. Um, The the big, heavy leaves on it, the big, broad leaves that sparkle in the in the in the in the shade, sort of thing, and the beautiful mauve flowers. Oh yeah, I I mean, I like salvias in general, but this particular species was just absolutely straight out of paradise, sort of thing. So. uh, you know, some people say, yeah, it's good to have that um, relationship with your plant. And who knows, maybe there's something in that. Um, but, um, yeah, one day I I, um, I dried a couple of leaves out. I was in two minds about, did I really want to smoke it or not, you know. But I had some there. And at the last minute I thought, oh, okay, I'll, I'll try smoking just a tiny little bit. You know, but what I did was, what I did first was I chewed chewed up a few leaves, and you hold it in your mouth for a while, and then after twenty minutes or so, it starts to um, the the effects start to come on a bit. You you feel a bit relaxed, a bit a little a little bit intoxicated, um, and I thought, well, you know, this was real experimental stuff for me at the time, so I thought. Okay, it's happening. I'm feeling something, so I'm gonna see, you know, see what I get out of this. So I, I, I think I just lit up a, um, I think I just rolled it up in a cigarette paper, which you know people say no, you've got to smoke it this way or that way, and you, you're not supposed to just smoke it in a cigarette paper. You're supposed to use a high, high temperature torch or something. But no, that's. I think that's because people often use using extracts, yeah. which are you know oh. we have a higher you need yeah. a higher temperature. Well, I found just getting yourself to that 
to the edge, well, getting, getting yourself to the point where you're feeling something by chewing and then having a few puffs on a, on a cigarette, a joint, a salvia joint at the end of it was enough to give me um, a really nice, enjoyable experience um, like I'd never had before. And um, you could almost do it recreationally, but at the same time, I, I felt like some sort of respect for the plant. Like this isn't something you just go and do and go to a nightclub and this is this is more of a, a healing plant that you you should only use um this is me personally um you know when you, when you need it when you need some sort of healing and i'll tell you what yeah it was great it was you know the next day i felt great better all that sort of thing it didn't last long it didn't last long and a couple of times since I've, I've chewed it a couple of times and had very similar experience um to me, what it felt like was if I was, so I was out in the, in the garden at night. I think I had the coals, the hot coals going from the fire. And, uh, you know, if I looked at the stars, I just felt like a connection with, with the stars. If I sat on the, the log, I just had the energy of the log flowing through me. You know, if I walked on the grass, I, there was some sort of energy from the grass. If I picked up a leaf, there was some energy in that leaf that I was connected to. You know, everything, it just, this is a common theme in psychedelics, really, but there's a energy that connects everything. And, uh, you know, a lot of it's perceptual, but, you know, there's, there's a lot more going on as well. So, yeah, I, I'm all for um, plant use and and using psychedelics with within um, moderation, yeah, and respectfully, <laughs> yeah. There's there's been yeah a couple of good experiences out there that I've had. So, but um, but yeah, I think if you start dabbling in extracts and all that, it's it's like you're adding the element of of human destruction <laughs> to it. There's just something. Uh, negative that it enters it so keep keep it all pure as possible well although in my understanding um as a in terms of san pedro recipes you prefer to make it oh no you're so so tell me so you don't that because i you don't like tea the tea approach because the tea is an extract obviously right the tea um or is that because it's more crude it's more simple you feel you feel well, better about that um the tea, there's there's different ways of making tea. So you could make a um, a tea where you just um, you just chop and boil and drink the juice, or you could try to boil it down to to have some really extremely high potency dose. Whereas to reduce know, the juice even further, you mean? Yeah, reduce it right down and reduce and, and um, like I think. It depends what your intentions are. If your intentions are just to, to um, like, blow your mind, <laughs> you know, for, uh, for an experience, well, it's like getting the good... It's like you're trying to get the good without 
going through the, the right way of doing it. Um, so how do you like to do it? How do you like to do it? Tell us how you... Well, so when I boiled it up, it was just, it was so gross and it, it just really hardly even worked and I vomited and that sort of thing. So I was like not particularly fond of doing that. But when I came across another method of just drying it out, um, the whole sort plant? of like filleting the, the, um, the green parts up and carefully drying them out uh, and just eating it straight, not add, not adding anything to it. No, like some people add lemon juice or whatever. Like I didn't add anything at all. I, I just, think that's normally when they boil it because it helps it extract. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah. So this is just filleted the outer green layer and dried yeah. and powdered? Yeah. Yep. So it's just a powder. It still tastes a, a little bit bad, but it was... It was nothing compared with that that gross liquid syrup. And how do you get it down? Uh, it's it's kind of hard to eat a powder, you know. It, you know, if you cough, it'll come out your nose and that sort of thing. Yeah, it's a horrible feeling. <laughs> um, so if you mix it with some sort of liquid, but water's not so great because it's going to immediately start to um, rehydrate and turn into this gunky gross slime um, so when I when I tried it with custard it was both sweet and not so wet with water it, it gave a few moments to um, get it down get it down before it rehydrated yeah right so it's wet without hydrating the, the yeah. powder so I mean, it expands and gets weird texture it still will do that after a few seconds 20 seconds or so but it's already it's already swallowed by that stage so it's it's fine and there's you know there was this idea going around for a long long time that the the plant matter the the extra plant matter the cells and all that sort of thing was what was behind um, people getting sick and throwing up but I had the complete opposite experience to that and, and I've heard this from other people too they've dried it out and consumed the powder and they get no nausea no vomiting uh, my theory behind that is that um, it the the, the drug, the medicine, is slowly absorbing out of the cell walls at a, at a, a, yes, a, a slower, more consistent rate. And it's just kind of a bit easier on your body to, your body can just sort of handle it. And um, um, so that was, that was quite a pleasant um, experience. I mean, I certainly could have had more but at the same time, I, I like each to their own. I just feel like I don't need to do anything. I can if I choose to, and I and if I choose not to, I have no no um, like impulse to to push me to do something. So I, but you know, other people can can easily get a, addicted to substances, whereas I. I myself personally, I feel like I 
I don't have any of those tendencies. And psychedelics, including mescaline, definitely yeah. seem to be less habit-forming yeah, than things like absolutely. opioids and amphetamines. But yeah. people still definitely seem capable of doing that. Yeah. And I, I also, I think, uh, just another thing I think about it when people talk about habits and, and the idea of a cactus habit, is that real, etc., etc. Um, traditionally, in some settings, you know, there are... Um, people that consume San Pedro every mm. day like yeah. a, like a, I'm not sure what the culturally appropriate term is but you know if it was part of you know your your, mm. your tradition and you were the the cactus guy like mm. it could well be a very common thing for you to do and I, in my understanding um, it's not associated with any particular harms that we yeah. were aware of well they in in ancient times they would be the equivalent of the pharmacy those particular people would just be known as the, you know, you might call them a witch doctor nowadays, but or a shaman, but they also they're the pharmacists. So they, you know, they only going to use what's available to them. And some of those, you know, in South America, some of those plants are pretty powerful <laughs> psychedelics, you know. But um, no, you you notice they they're very ritualistic about what they how they do it they don't just run around like 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 fools you know they're they're respectful about what they do and they believe that what they're doing is tied in with religion and and all that sort of thing too and and helping helping people healing people you know and essentially that is what they do they do achieve that sort of thing and you know for for people just just run around loose these days well you, you do see a lot of harm that can potentially be done so i'm i'm all for harm reduction you know um but in in you know there's there's certain plants that i wouldn't touch um but then cacti you know san pedro i remember years ago just randomly i just stumbled upon a um a paper that was I wish I could quote it now. Commit, uh, it'd be in my file somewhere. Commissioned by the Peruvian government on the, on just the modern use of San Pedro, and they found just little to zero cognitive decline in in people who had you know engaged in um, San Pedro use, and that's that's pretty consistent with any um, um, substances in 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 the amphetamine family, like the natural substances, like you think of caffeine, right? Everyone's on caffeine day in, day out, and it doesn't really send us all mental or anything like that. But if you start pushing it to like 10, 100,000 times more than you're supposed to have, then you are gonna end up in a in a psych ward or something. Yeah, so, well, dose makes a poison for everything, right? That's right, yeah. Uh, yeah. So to take a like a maybe more of a zoom out and to think kind of ecology and and culture more broadly mm. i um i mean specifically i'm thinking because i know you've helped name some um interesting parts of the ecological world and uh, you've done some interesting trips mm. to to new guinea and mm. i mean there's no real easy way to summarize it but i'd like to I just think of you of a man of fine tropical fruits and uh, and you're, you're traveling around to hunt them down. So can you mm. give us some insight into that part of your, your mm. life? Yeah, um, 
Okay, so I, I've always been interested in nature and sustainability, although I may, may not have known it in the early days what that was, but just to be able to um, look after yourself in a way that we're not so reliant upon um, the modern world, you know, the capitalistic world around us, you know, because I, I found that everything, every, all my possessions and that, everything would always break. Everything made out of plastic would always break and you'd spend your whole life just working to buy things that break and you just get nowhere. So, like, whereas gardening and, and plants and animals, um, it's the complete opposite. If you start with a one small plant it's going to grow by the day and get bigger by the day and get more by the day and increase and then it's going to give you fruit and then you can sell some of the fruit and sell some of the cuttings and you just get more and more and more so you can literally base your whole life upon that you know you can become self-sufficient sustainable and then so i started you know hearing all about permaculture and and that sort of thing it, it's a lot harder nowadays you know because what do you need if you want to be self-sufficient you're going to need a big block of land with a good climate and and all that sort of thing and you know all of a sudden that's very much um out of reach for the average person you know so um uh but you know the principles are what's always interested me and um yeah like i was saying before um Every plant gives you something different, whether it's firewood or, or a food source or a medicine or a beautiful flower or it'll attract a bird that just sings beautifully and makes you feel at peace in your garden or it gives you a beautiful rose that you can give to your girlfriend, you know. Every plant can give you something different. So what, what's the point of just buying a whole lot of shit when you can just pretty much produce it all yourself you know and so why not learn the skills of gardening and propagating and, and growing things and and ultimately that's that's the enjoyable life that I want to live like I'd, I'd be quite happy to be a, a poor hippie just growing my own gardens and living in in nature my whole life I would I would look back on my life and think I enjoyed every minute of it sort of thing whereas if you know, I know people who've worked in the in the big city all their life and just trying to get by and in the end they don't even have enough money to buy a house anyway and uh, let alone land or, or whatever. So what was it all for? You know, if I was living that sort of life I would very I'd be very um, disappointed, you know, I would have achieved nothing that I wanted to achieve. So, um, yeah, you know, fruits and, and medicines and flowers and it all interests me, you know. Um, and, you know, when you, when you go to different places, you, you know, different cultures, you, you just learn so much from different people. I spent some time up in New Guinea and they lived 100% off the land and off their environment. There's very little they paid for. They might pay for school books or certain medicines that they can't get through 
nature. They might pay for a bus ride or, you know, a, a four-wheel drive ride out of the mountains because they don't want to carry their, their big sack for 50 kilometers. But other than those, so, so there were certain things that they would use cash crops for and they used money for certain things. But for 99% of the time, they got everything from nature. And uh, yeah, I, would, I, I just really got a lot out of that. Um, probably the main problems they were faced with up there was the lack of law and order, um, introduction of um, homemade guns. Like you call it homemade guns because they're basically black market guns and things like that. So, you know, there's, there's some major issues that they that they face in the in these places but then you know that's um that's the curse of mankind creeping in sort of thing but people just in their in in nature living off nature um is it can be quite a uh, rewarding existence really and with today's technology you know you can sort of have a bit of bit of both worlds you know so um, you could be sitting up in the mountains somewhere cut off from the rest of humanity and be on the internet and still you know interact with the rest of the world <laughs> you know so um, you know I, I, I like the the idea of, of living with our natural environment while still enjoying some of the uh, mod cons and amazing technologies that we have and what have been some of the focus of your ecological adventures over there like particular plants or insects um, well i went there as a as a tourist to begin with because australia and new guinea used to be joined and i just wanted to, like i could have gone anywhere at the time uh, South America is very inviting, but um, Australia was just too cool, and New Guinea was just the whole other side of the story. Um, so the same plants and animals, because Australia and New Guinea used to be joined, um, the same plants and animals run right up into New Guinea, and it just turns into this mountainous, pristine rainforest <laughs> environment, and. Um, so I went up there as a tourist with my camera, just taking photos and learning, like living with the locals. Like I went pretty remote. I was trying to get up to an extremely remote mountainous region with a, with a um, airstrip. But um, when I got nearby, the locals told me that the airstrip had been closed down for the last 10 years or so. So it was, wasn't going to happen. So I, I just, I went to a slightly different area, which was still pretty darn remote though. Um, had to walk in and all that sort of thing. And, you know, being up in the mountains, it was just full of orchids and butterflies and insects and just like garden, garden of Eden type beauty, you know, and even the people the culture, the way they interact is just something incredibly beautiful about about the place. Um, so 
no regrets there. But I quickly linked up with some people who worked for the DPI up there, the Department of Primary Industries, and they're kind of a respected group of people. They'll go into the really remote areas and introduce cash crops. Um, cash crops are very important to these people because they've got no other way of making making money. You know, there are certain things they need money for. Like I was saying before, you, you might have to pay for a bus or a particular medicine, you know, a cancer medicine or something, or pay for your, your child's school fees or something, you know, there's some there's some th things that money can't replace. So cash crops, you know, was a was a big thing, and um, just by empowering those um, low, those remote people, you know, the the it it gives them it pu puts the ball back in their court. So if the the logging companies or the mining companies come and make them a, a, a an offer you know, they're able to bargain for a much better offer. So they're not, they're not as likely to be exploited uh, because of their poor position. Um, and um, to empower those kind of cultures is um, going to uh, help with conservation because they live, live in harmony with their environment they're ultimately going to like they like they might eat the odd tree kangaroo but um they still exist together whereas if a logging company moves in there won't be any tree kangaroos left you know so they do um, live in harmony and you can still educate people on on particular things like you might say to them look this particular species of kangaroo, tree kangaroo, is um, is almost extinct now. You should stop eating it and instead try um, try farming guinea pigs instead. You know that that's a small change you can make that can save a, a major species. So yeah, there's always work to be done, but it's it's a it's a hell of a lot better than a mining company coming in and exploiting some indigenous culture. So I got a lot of uh, um, uh, uh, what's the word? Re reward out of just doing that. And as a you know scientist at the time, I, that's all I wanted out of life, really. I wasn't trying to chase riches or anything. That was enough to keep me happy. And yeah, it's very re rewarding, but uh, ultimately I changed changed path with a few things that happened in life getting married um, experiencing some tribal fights up there you know nearly getting killed a few times and yeah so back in back in Australia now living it up and uh, so was it a stick insect that was over there was that in New Guinea where you found the stick insect or was that uh, here in Australia stick, the, the stick insect I I found in Australia. Oh, all right, my bad. That was an unnamed species that got named. And, um, you know, insects in, in rainforests are, um, like, really diverse and really numerous. So, What did you find in New Guinea? Up there I came across a, a, a new vine. Oh, a new yeah, species yeah. Of vine that, that attracted butterflies, butterflies, is that the one? Yeah, cool. 
and also an orchid, a small terrestrial orchid that hadn't hadn't been named. And you know that's that's the for the fun of having this space age technology in in such a remote, isolated parts of the world. You know you can go in with your camera, take a photo of an orchid, email it to some guy who studies those particular orchids, and later that day he'll tell you you know get a sample because that's that's definitely a new species you know that's that's how good it is you know to have a bit of both worlds sort of thing yeah so um yeah good times <laughs> i still like to dabble in it all a bit yeah but yeah. um just just the concept of um sustainability and you know um preserving what we've got it's you know, we've, we've gone through so much of it in, in the past, destroying our own environment, and so little is left, and it's just more important now than ever before. As you can imagine, there are many delicious fruits and fragrances in Halcyon's garden. I remember sweet-smelling orchids and cold, blood-red cactus fruit with vanilla ice cream. Even if we're not in his garden, Halcyon might suddenly whip out a pile of obscure habanero hybrids from his pocket and suggest I sample them with lunch. When it comes to plant breeding, Halcyon's vision and efforts can be understood through pictures and words, but are really best appreciated by smelling and tasting. Remember, if you want to support the podcast and get a bunch of extra magic plant stuff, please check out my Patreon and the Mescaline Garden shop. We've actually just released a Mescaline Garden t-shirt, which is my new favourite item of clothing. If you wanted to meet me in person, I have some workshops coming up in Lewisham in the Sydney CBD on the 20th of August. Two are on cacti and one is on psychedelic plants. I'm also giving a talk on psychoactive plants alongside a brief cactus garden walk and gin tasting on the 12th of August at the Sydney Royal Botanical Garden. Ticket links in the description. I've just had a paper based on mescaline cacti data from the Global Drug Survey accepted for publication at the Journal of Psychedelic Studies, which highlights concerningly large amounts of wild peyote consumption. I'll leave a link to the accepted manuscript in case you'd like to read it. I've also just launched PsychCombo.com, a soon-to-be-downloadable application that combines and streamlines drug combination displays like my entheogen combination matrix. It also outlines effects, dosage, and duration for most, and hopefully one day all, psychoactive substances. I think this project takes the best parts of Arrowwood, Blue Light, Tripsit, Psychonaut Wiki, and the rest of the drug forums while simplifying and combining them. Hmm, it's been a big month. Keep track of all our work by signing up to the Mescaline Garden newsletter. Thanks again. <laughs>